turn your Bibles to the 23rd Psalm. And as you're turning there, I actually have a poem to share with everybody this morning, something a little bit different. It's called Heaven's Surprise. I was shocked, confused, bewildered as I entered heaven's door, not by the beauty of it all, nor the lights or its decor, but it was the folks in heaven who made me sputter and gasp, the thieves, the liars, the sinners, the alcoholics, and the trash. There stood the kid from seventh grade who swiped my lunch money twice. Next to him was my neighbor who never had anything to say that was nice. Herb, who I always thought was rotting away in hell, was sitting pretty on cloud nine, looking incredibly well. I nudged Jesus. What's the deal? I would love to hear your take. How'd all these sinners get up here? There must be some kind of mistake. And why is everyone so quiet, so somber? Jesus, please, give me a clue. Hush, child, he said. They're all in shock. No one thought they'd be seeing you. Amen. So that is a uh, great poem for us to think about and uh, um, kind of puts things into perspective a little bit about uh, how we shouldn't judge one another. Amen. Anyhow, we are uh, coming to the last message in this absolutely wonderful 23rd Psalm. And and I pray that your heart has been just as blessed as mine as we've uh, gone through these uh, few weeks dissecting this psalm. So let's take a closer look at this precious 23rd Psalm once again. Starting at verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. For his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me uh, in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Beautiful 23rd Psalm. Now I want to make an observation here. Satan does not have any happy old people. Now he may have some temporarily happy young people that just, uh, you know, they're living it up, not knowing any better yet, that is. But he doesn't have any happy older people. Amen? Why? Well, it's simple. Satan always gives his best first and the worst last. Amen? Proverbs chapter 20, verse 17. Bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man, but afterward his mouth will be filled with gravel. We need to understand that that verse, that is, that is Satan's way. That is his system in a nutshell. Satan is a deceiver. He's a counterfeiter. Jesus said he is a liar and the father of it. Let me give you a, a real-life example. 
you know, when the unsaved, remember that was, that was you and I at one time, you know, before we came to know Jesus Christ. When, when, when we used to, before we were saved, when we got together at a party, someone would, would inevitably, you know, hold up a cold one and, and declare, it doesn't get any better than this, right? And they're right. And that's only because it's going to get a whole lot worse pretty soon. Amen? It's going to get a whole lot worse. That is the best that Satan has to offer. But there's a whole lot worse coming down the pike. Amen? Now, Satan, he won't tell you about the one who blew half of his paycheck that weekend and now he can't pay his rent. He won't tell you about that car that was wrapped around a telephone pole or a tree and and all the young lives that were lost. He won't tell you about the bad decisions that, that ruin marriages and break up families. Satan always gives the best first and the worst last. Amen. Years ago, I, I read an article um, by a Bible scholar named Dr. Moody. And he said, listen to what he said. He said, What do aged atheists have to talk about while they are sitting around waiting to die? Do they discuss the good that atheism has done in the world? All the hospitals and and orphanages that they found? Then, when the sun is setting low, they can joyously contemplate their future. There's so much for an aging atheist to look forward to tongue-in-cheek, without a doubt. In conclusion, he wrote, old atheists never really die. They just go to hell. Sad but true. You know, Satan always gives the best first and the worst last. A lot of truth to what Dr. Moody wrote. Think about it. There are no, you know, atheist charities in the world. You won't find any, uh, you know, atheist purse. We have the Christian, you know, foundation, the Samaritan's purse. You won't find an equal to that named the atheist purse. There's no such thing as, as visiting atheists. Amen? It's Christian charities around the world that help those who are in need. Amen? Satan gives the best first and the worst last. But then you think about Jesus. What about Christ? He saves the best for last. Amen? Jesus always saves the best for last. Last week we, you know, we touched on the, uh, the first miracle that, that Jesus performed you know, when he turned the water into wine at that wedding in Cana. That, you know, Bible tells us the, the master of ceremonies, he, he couldn't believe what he saw. He couldn't believe what Jesus had just done. He said, most people give the best first, but you, you have saved the best for last, is what he told Christ. But that's just the way our Lord does things, amen? With Jesus, it just keeps getting better and better every single day. It's sweeter with him every single day than the day before. And yet, as great it is now, as, as wonderful as it is now, as an abundant life that we live now in Christ, 
there is yet so much more to come. Amen? So much more to come. Now, this doesn't mean that it's not good now. Amen? It just means that we ain't seen nothing yet. Right? That's all it means. Things are pretty good. And and that's exactly what David was saying here. That's what David was declaring in in verse 6. He says that things are really good right now. He said, surely, without a doubt, goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. Things are pretty good. But he concludes, the best is yet to come. When he declared, I will dwell in the house of my Lord forever. Amen. Remember, we, we are the sheep of his pasture. And if we look behind us, you know, we, we're going to see two sheepdogs. You know, a lot, of, a lot of shepherds will use a sheepdog to, you know, to keep their sheep in line, to keep them on the, on the right path, to keep them from wandering too far. And most importantly, to protect them, to care for them, to watch out for them. And if we look behind us, we're going to see that, that we have two sheepdogs, one named goodness and the other named mercy, and they just follow us wherever we go all the days of our life. Amen? Goodness and mercy, they follow us every day of our life. Now, I believe this with all my heart, that every child of God could write a book about God's mercy and his goodness in their life. I'm not talking about what they've observed in other people's lives and and what they've seen uh, here and there, what they've heard. I'm talking about what they have experienced about God's goodness and his mercy in their life. Amen? His goodness in all all those good and happy and joyful times. His mercy in all those not so good times and all those bad times. Amen. His provisions in all of our failures and his blessings in all of our needs. Even in, in, in all of this, we need to understand that the best is still yet to come. Even in all the blessings, the abundant life that we live in Christ now, the best is yet to come. In that final verse in In this 23rd Psalm, David refers to the house of the Lord. Amen? What is he talking about there? He's talking about God's dwelling place. He's talking about the third heaven. And this morning, I I want us to consider a few things about heaven. First and foremost, I want us to see the certainty of heaven. The certainty of the, the house of the Lord. Now, I want you to notice that very first word in verse 6. Look what word David chose. He said, surely. Surely. It doesn't say maybe. It doesn't say possibly. It doesn't say hopefully. He says that it's a certainty. It is a sure thing. Jesus reinforces this truth in, in the Gospel of John. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 14.
Right in verse 1, he says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Jesus said, believe also in me. He said, in my father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And he says, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will return again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, you will be also. Amen. You think about what Jesus was saying here. He was just reinforcing exactly what David was declaring in the 23rd Psalm. I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus said, in my Father's house. The third heaven, God's dwelling place. That's where Jesus went to prepare a place for us. So heaven is certain. It is a sure place and it is a real place. Amen? It's not just a, you know, a relaxing state of mind. It's, it's not just a, a, a nice thought. <coughs> heaven is a real place. And Jesus is there in his resurrected body preparing a place for us. Amen? Praise God. Now, when we, when we speak about heaven, we always, we always use the word up. Amen? We always say that it's up. No matter where you are on earth, up is always north, right? It's always north. When we talk about being, uh, you know, north and south, we always say it's up north or, or down south. Amen? A compass. What direction does it always point, right? It always points due north. No matter where you are, that compass will always point due north. So what is, what is God's word? What does the Bible tell us about heaven and where heaven is? Well, let's start in, a, uh, in the book of Isaiah chapter 14. Now, ironically enough, in, in Isaiah 14, this, is, this accounts uh, the fall of Satan because of his pride. But it also gives us some insight. Uh, Isaiah 14, look at verse 13. God talking about Satan once again. He said, For you, Satan, have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. You see, all those references are always about up north, uh, you know, above us. I will ascend. What direction is ascension? It's up. He says, I will, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. He said, I, I will sit on the mount of congregation on the farthest sides of the north, above God. Leviticus. Chapter 1, verse 11. He shall kill it on the north side of the altar before the Lord. Moses here was, you know, he was, he was giving the, the uh, law of, of burnt offering. And, and he said that, you know, it will be uh, uh, kill it on the north side of the altar before the Lord. That means the Lord is on the north side. As he was given this law of the burnt offering. <laughs> My wife thought for many years that that was actually a cookbook. And that's what she presented every night when I came home from work. You know, burnt offerings. 
<laughs> I'm just kidding. You know, I'm going to have some uh, toast for lunch today, man. Anyhow, let's look at the, in, in Psalm, um, the 75th Psalm. Psalm 75, verse 6. For exultation comes neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south, but God is judge. Notice how the psalmist, he, he uh, exchanged the word north for God because where is God located? In the furthest north that we can go, in the third heaven, God's dwelling place. Amen? Bottom line, there is a real place somewhere above the stars that the Bible calls the third heaven, God's dwelling place. So we need to understand that the first heaven, you know, that's, that's our atmosphere. Amen? The second heaven, that's outer space. That's, that's all the, uh, you know, the solar system. All the solar systems put together, that is the second heaven. The third heaven is above all that. That is God's dwelling place. That is the heaven that we think about uh, when we read in the Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said. He's talking in the third person, but he's, he's referring to himself. He said, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago whether in the body I do not know, or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows. But such a one was caught up to the third heaven. The Apostle Paul, he's telling us that he was caught up to the third heaven. He doesn't know if he was in the physical body or in his spirit, but he was caught up to the third heaven. He was caught up to God's dwelling place, and he was given a revelation. And we read that, that, you know, God told him not to write what he saw. Can you imagine how hard that would be to, to be caught up to heaven, the third heaven, God's dwelling place, and not be able to tell anyone about what you saw, what you heard, what you witnessed? That's a pretty hard spot that the Apostle Paul was in. Someone once said beautifully, we see the first heaven by day, the second heaven by night, the third heaven by faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Isn't that wonderful? The first heaven by day, the second heaven by night, the third heaven by faith in Jesus Christ. Heaven is a certainty. David was sure of it. The apostle Paul saw it and Jesus guaranteed it. Amen. Stay in uh, 2 Corinthians, just uh, back up, go left to chapter 5. Starting at verse 6. Apostle Paul, he said, So we are always confident, underline that word, knowing that while we are at home in the body, it means that we are absent from the Lord. As long as we're in this physical body, in the flesh, then we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident, second time he says it, yes, well pleased rather, to be absent from the uh, body and to be present with the Lord. As a born-again believer, 
the Bible tells us the very moment, the absolute very moment that we die, we are carried by the angels into heaven, the third heaven, into God's dwelling place, into the glorious presence and, and, and dwelling place of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, into his glorious presence. The very moment that we, that we leave this physical body, our soul will be carried into the presence of our precious Lord forever. The Apostle Paul, again, he used the word confident twice. That means it is a certainty. The moment we are absent from this body, we are present with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that good, that great, and that chief shepherd. Amen. Not only is heaven a sure place, but we also need to understand it is a perfect place. Revelation chapter 21, verse 4. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, that there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. No more of all those bad things. Sorrow and death and, and grief, those things are not allowed in the third heaven. They are not allowed in God's dwelling place. Amen? When we talk about question, uh, heaven, many, many questions arise, right? There's fruit trees in heaven, the Bible tells us. Will we eat? How old will we be? You know, someone, someone actually asked me, will we wear shoes in heaven? <laughs> about socks. Will we have to wear socks? Let me answer all those questions for you. Ready? I don't know. I have no idea. Amen? Nobody knows. Well, at least, you know, no one that was able to come back and, and talk about it. The Apostle Paul, he, was, he saw it, but he wasn't allowed to talk about it. So, so nobody has been there and come back and able to, to tell us about those things. The Bible tells us it, it does not yet appear what we shall be. Amen? Here's what does matter in all of this, though. Heaven is the presence of all that is good and the absence of all that is evil and bad. Amen? Heaven is the presence of all that is good, and it's the absence of all that is evil. Heaven is all that the loving heart of God could comprehend and, 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 and put together, and all that his almighty hands can prepare. Amen. It's all that is his loving heart could contemplate, could comprehend. And all that his almighty hands could prepare. Heaven is an absolute certainty. It's a sure place. It is a perfect place. It is God's dwelling place. Amen? Second thing I want us to consider is the company in heaven. The, the company that we will have in the house of the Lord. That word house in verse 6, when, when, when David talked about it, he said, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That word house 
he's not referring to a building, amen? It's referring to the household of God. The household of God. When Jesus said, in my Father's house, we just read it in, in John 14. When Jesus said, in my Father's house, he was talking about the household of God. Amen? The household of God. Every born-again believer from every single age is known as the household of faith. Amen? And we will be the company of heaven in the household of God. Amen? The household of faith will be the company of heaven in the household of God. Question. I hear this a lot. A lot of people want to know, and, and, and rightly so. Will we know our loved ones in heaven? And the answer is absolutely yes, we will. In the Old Testament, we read about David's young son who died in, in 2 Samuel. And I'm going to pick up in, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse, verse 21. Then David's servant said to him, What is this that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive. But when the child died, you arose and ate food. And David said, while the child was alive, I fasted and I wept. And I said, who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? No. David declared, I shall go to him. I shall go to him. Where? He's talking about seeing his son once again in God's dwelling place, in heaven. Amen? In the house of his Lord. We will know our loved ones, and we're going to know them even better than we ever knew them. Why? For we're going to see them, and we're going to know them as God sees and knows them. Amen? And vice versa, they're going to see and know us as God saw and knew us. Let me share a little something with you. We were talking about David and, and losing his, his young son. I want, to, I want to share this for those who have ever lost a, a young child, a baby. There was a shepherd who was leading his flock, and he came to a raging river. The flock at the river's edge, became very agitated and scared, and, and they didn't want to go into that raging water. So the shepherd sought out a, a baby, tiny little baby lamb. He gathered him up in his arms, held him close, stepped into that river, crossed over those raging waters, and he set that baby lamb down safely on the other side. Now when that papa and that mama sheep saw their baby lamb safe on the shores on the other side of that raging river, 
they went right into that water and they crossed that raging river to get to their baby on the other side. Listen. God, in his infinite wisdom, may at times take a little lamb, a baby lamb, out of the flock and set it safely on the other side, just like he did with with David's baby, with David's young child, in order to get that flock to look and head in the proper heavenly direction. Amen. That child is safe and sound and secure in God's dwelling place, safe in the house of the Lord. And God's purpose is to to get the rest of the flock heading in that same direction. Amen. We may not know all the mysteries of God, but we can be certain of this truth. On the other side of those raging waters of death, is a place that has been prepared by the hands of our loving and precious chief and and, and good and great shepherd, where we can go and be with our loved ones who died in Christ before us. Amen. It's a certain, it's a sure place. Gospel of Matthew, chapter 17, starting at verse 1. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And Jesus was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter answered, and he said, Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here, if you wish Let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, what we have to understand is that Moses and Elijah died hundreds of years before this account. They had never, ever been introduced to Peter, James, or John. They had never seen one another ever before. But yet the disciples knew immediately that that was Moses and that was Elijah and they arranged to make and set up tabernacles in honor of them, in honor of who they were, in honor of their faithfulness. They recognized and knew them as Moses and as Elijah. Heaven is a real place, full of real people. But one thing I want us to understand is that that is not what makes heaven, heaven. As great and as comforting as that thought is, that that we will be able to go and and be with and talk with and and, and fellowship with those uh, loved ones that went on before us in Christ, that's still not what makes heaven, heaven. David declared, I will dwell. Where did he say he will dwell? 
He said, I will dwell in the house of who? Whose house? In the house of the Lord. Remember, the Lord is my shepherd. Who was the Lord? He's talking about Jehovah. The Jehovah of the Old Testament is the same Jesus Christ of the New Testament. He's talking about that good and great and chief shepherd, Jesus Christ himself. He said, I will go and dwell in the house of Jesus Christ, my Lord and my Savior. The Apostle Paul, he said, I would rather be absent from the body and be present with my Lord. To see and be with our Lord Jesus Christ is what makes heaven, heaven. Amen. That is what makes heaven so wonderful. It's in the Gospel of John. Chapter 17. Listen to what Jesus prayed. He said, Father, I desire. This was Jesus' heart's desire. He said, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am. Amen. I desire that they also whom you gave me, every born-again believer, may be with me where I am. Wherever I go, I want them with me. And David said, I will dwell in the house of my Lord forever. That is the company of heaven. Amen? The company of heaven. Lastly, I'm going to close on this last thought. Consider the, uh, the constancy of heaven, the, the constancy of the house of the Lord. David said, I will dwell in the house of my Lord for how long? That's right, forever. Forever, nonstop, never ceasing throughout eternity. As the sheep of our Lord's pasture, we need to understand that that sheep are a nomadic animal. They're always on the go. They wander here, they go there. They, They don't settle in one place very long. And that's exactly why God calls us the sheep of his pasture. Because we wonder, and sometimes we wander off, and, and not to our benefit, we, we get into trouble. And we are in dire need of the good shepherd. Amen. Because of our nomadic nature in the flesh. We have a tendency to wander off and get into trouble, and we are in dire need of a good shepherd to watch over us and to care for us. We need him to lead us beside those still waters. We need him to lead us into those green pastures. We need him to lead us through that valley of the shadow of a death, and we need him to lead us to that heavenly home, the house of of our Lord, so that we can be with him forever and ever and ever. Wherever he goes, we will be by his precious side. Amen. We need to praise God that that this world is not our home. We go to Hebrews chapter 11, that that great chapter of faith, that that chapter of the the faith hall of fame. And we skip down to verse uh, verse 8. It says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called uh, to go out to the place where he would receive an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, 
he just followed God's lead. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Builder and maker is God. Jesus said, he promised, he declared to us, he said, I go to prepare a place for you. That same place that Abraham desired, that whose, whose founder and maker and builder was God himself. Jesus Christ preparing a place for us in the house of our Lord so that we can dwell with him forever and ever. And like Abraham, listen, we're just, we're just pilgrims passing through this old world. And one of these days, we are finally going to make it home. Home to, to God's dwelling place, our dwelling place, the place that Jesus is preparing for us. Home to that place of constancy. No more turmoil, no more ups and downs. It is a place of constancy. Constant praise and worship of our Lord and Savior. Constant service to Him. Not a, not a, a begrudging service, but a, a joyful service. A place of constant peace, constant serenity, constant contentment, constant unconditional Love, amen, constant goodness. The dwelling place of God is a place of constancy. And David declared, he said, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Why? Because Jesus has saved the best for last.